0: Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, get people who are smarter and better looking than I am. I'm supposed to say harder working, but anyway, they're smarter and harder working and sometimes better looking than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. I am joined this week by a bout of COVID insomnia and my good friend, Carolyn Foley. Carolyn, how are you? I um,
1: apparently slept better than you last night, so I'm doing great. Yeah, I've got, do the,
0: I've got the no sleep, lots of coffee thing going on, and it shows already. It always makes for a more interesting episode, though, when I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth.
1: All right,
0: let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. Right? <laughs> Just see what happens. No, I'm actually really excited about this episode because this is a topic that comes up again and again and again. And we're going to do at least one, if not two or three or more episodes about this going forward. And that is the idea of rising lake levels. Because uh, my understanding is, and I don't know a lot about this, but lake levels are high right now. Um, maybe historically high, maybe not, right?
1: They are historically high in many of the Laurentian Great Lakes. Yes, we will hear more about that from our guest in a minute. But yeah, they um, it's crazy right now. Yeah. Docks are underwater. It's completely nuts.
0: No kidding. And so I'm interested to hear the extent of that. And I did a lot of work on helping people adapt to and mitigate uh, sea level rise when I was in the Gulf South. But this is a little bit different deal. Uh, So with that, let's uh, cue interstitial music and talk to our guest about uh, this one. Our guest today is Dr. Adam Beckley. He is a coastal engineering outreach specialist with Wisconsin Sea Grant over in Madison. Adam, how are you? I'm good, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so happy to have you on here to talk about this really important topic that I'm completely ignorant about, and I need to get less ignorant fast uh, for reasons that I might talk to Carolyn about later. Uh, So, but let's start actually the very basics. You're a coastal engineer or coastal engineering outreach specialist. What is coastal engineering? So coastal engineering is really
2: kind of building and constructing all the things along our, our coast. So it ranges from Things like shore protection uh, to protect buildings that are close to to the to the coast, um, ports, harbors, and marinas. Um, and something that, when I say built and constructed, you know, we might think of hard, gray structures, rock, and concrete, but also uh, living shorelines, nature-based shorelines, where we're working with nature to try to protect the coast or provide habitat. Um, you know, building. And- Uh, beaches, having vegetation, um, and and trying to work with with natural features to help keep our coasts healthy and strong.
1: So you mentioned beaches. Um, Is there also like wetlands or things like that? Do you ever build those? Um,
2: Yeah, those those would uh, sometimes fall under uh, coastal engineering. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with that, but uh, definitely trying to do coastal wetland restoration, you, you, you may need to sort of have a hybrid approach where you have some hard uh, hard elements to, to protect from waves while you have uh, the wetland vegetation being able to establish behind it. So there's definitely that hybrid
0: approach uh, you know, in a
2: lot of cases.
0: And so, so when you talk about protecting the coast, what you're really talking about is let me ask, uh, are you really talking about like you're protecting, you know, where people live specifically, right? It's not so much the nature that needs protecting as much as it's human development. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I um, you know our coasts have been here for, for much longer than we have. And, and in the Great Lakes, they naturally erode and, and flood. And, and it's, I guess, for trees and, and other vegetation, it can be a problem if you fall in the lake. But, you know, that's what nature is, is intended to do. Uh, we sort of staked, staked ourselves down along the coast because of, uh, you know, economic reasons to, to ship. Um, you know, a lot of communities were built a- along the coast for, for that reason. And, and they're really pleasant places to live. But unfortunately, those natural processes, I guess not unfortunately, but in, in reality, those natural processes still happen. And so uh, erosion and flooding still comes calling uh, for, for that, that infrastructure, buildings, businesses, that we put on the coast, so yeah, um, sort of trying to keep those out of harm's way, or figuring out a way to to live with it.
0: And so you have a PhD in this, right? And and so I was looking up your CV, and I didn't understand most of the words. Um And so, uh, what what do you study exactly? I, I saw something called I, I can't even pronounce the word. Is it a medio tsunami? Is that is that yeah, right? You
2: pronounce that right? Yeah, so... oh, nailed it. When I was
0: a grad student, I uh, did my dissertation
2: on meteor tsunamis in the Great Lakes. So uh, meteor tsunami, it's definitely a more common term uh, than when I started studying it. But essentially what a meteor tsunami is, is it's a contraction of meteorological tsunami. And so what these are, are rapid changes in the water level of a few feet over a few minutes that are caused by storms that are moving over the, over the lakes. So that's where the meteorological component comes in. So basically what happens is uh, the wind and the air pressure changes that come with certain types of thunderstorms, um, They, if the thunderstorm is moving at the same speed that a, a large wave would move in the middle of the lake, that storm essentially sits on top of the wave, constantly pumping energy into it and growing it and growing it. Uh, so you can kind of amplify this tsunami-like wave coming across the lakes to be a handful of feet once it hits the coast up to like 10, 15 feet have been reported around
1: the Great Lakes. Oh my gosh. And, and you said that happens within the span of a few minutes that it goes up? Like Yeah. So,
2: ten, so... the time scale ranges, but tsunamis uh, typically occur in, in that minutes to to a few hours time span. And so these occur on that same time span. So, you know, we've seen a handful of minutes up to 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty rapid water level change when we're considering what typically we're used to on the Great Lakes. And it's a term some people might be more familiar with is Seiche. Um, and that's definitely something that happens on the Great Lakes when water sloshes back and forth, like in a bathtub. Right. Um, and so that's really, really uh, most notably on Lake Erie. Between Toledo and Buffalo, they get uh, pretty big ones. Medium tsunamis happen a little bit faster than a seiche. Whereas, if you were looking at it from at the lake from space, you'd actually see sort of this wave propagating across the lake. Whereas a seiche, you kind of just see that sloshing back and forth, up and down at at the huh. edges.
0: And for uh, listeners who are interested in learning a little bit more about seiches, I encourage you to visit teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com/17. And listen, episode 17 with Meg Dotson of the National uh, Weather Service. Uh, that episode is called Flip, Float, and Follow. Uh, so interesting. So, so then within a matter of minutes, I'm going to derail us and I apologize for this, but so within a matter of minutes, uh, uh, like a, a small tsunami can can occur and then those those go to the, the shoreline and, and potentially harm property and people and stuff like that? Do they have like a warning yeah. system or is it is it just kind of your host? Uh, so far,
2: there's not a whole lot of, uh, warning, we can kind of maybe as we see a storm kind of get the feeling of this this is moving at the right speed. Um, but in terms of like a coordinated warning system, um, we don't really have that in the Great Lakes. It's something that's a you know an area of active interest in research. Um, there are you know various weather service offices that kind of have a sort of learned experience of what types of storms might look dangerous and they may issue um uh, lake shore a swim hazard warning or, or something like that. But um in terms of a reliable and consistent warning system,
1: it really doesn't exist out there. Um versus like on the coast of Oregon right. where they've got the signs everywhere and like here's your plan Rena. Yeah. Cool. Okay, I'll bring this back to, to lake levels. So um how <laughs> so these are uh, instances that happen on like a shorter to longer time scale that you're talking about where the water level might go up and down. but in recent times, um the Great Lakes have been experiencing just kind of consistent high water levels, Correct. right um, So what's causing that?
2: so water levels in the Great Lakes are really. Kind of controlled by three things. Essentially, the the supply of water into the lakes, and and that is kind of summed up as net basin supply, and that that is a term that that sort of encompasses all the water entering and leaving the lakes from the atmosphere. So that's precipitation directly onto the lake surface, runoff from the watershed into the lakes, and then evaporation of water off of the water surface. And those are, depending on which lake you're in, um, roughly on equivalent, um, equivalent magnitudes. And so they, they kind of balance each other out. So when more water enters the lakes, either through precipitation and runoff than leaves through evaporation, we see let that lake rise. Um, conversely, if, if we're getting less precipitation runoff and, and outweighed by more evaporation, the water levels go down. And so what we've seen kind of across the Great Lakes Basin is, is just a historically wet period of years. Um, Looking back for the last five years um, from the NOAA climate uh, um, summary, the upper Midwest region has had the wettest five years in in recorded history, so going back 125 years, I believe. Um, And if you go back, that's kind of been the case for the last few years. Um, Every five-year period going forward, uh, has set a new record so when you look back and say well 2018 was that the wettest five years well it was in 2018 but it's not anymore because we, we keep uh breaking that record so that's that's kind of primarily why we've seen water levels across the basin just kind of march upward hmm. in the last uh, seven eight years um and evaporation really hasn't been too out of whack so when we have have really high precipitation that just kind of takes over and fills up our our base.
0: so even the increased temperatures and things like that aren't enough to kind of overcome the extra water coming in.
2: Well, so evaporation is kind of a, a funny funny thing, whereas we would think normally um, hot summer weather will get a lot of evaporation, but really the conditions where we get most of our evaporation are prime in the in the fall and winter months. So, for example, in uh, Lake Michigan and Huron, we see evaporation peak out in, um, let's see, what month? In in December, on average, we see the highest evaporation in December. And that's because of the main components we need for evaporation in the Great Lakes are warm water temperatures, but we need a differential in, in temperature between the air and the water. So, cold air temperatures versus that warm water surface. And then low humidity, which we, we get in the winter, and then high wind speeds to kind of move that humid air off the lake. And so, really, we see. Um, I think if we have warmer water temperatures consistently, we will get higher evaporation. But um, but it's really winter where we see the
1: evaporation. Um, so I I just want to point out that because people can't see that we can see each other. Adam was actually just looking up. When these happen. So, Adam, what is it that you're looking at right now? What so data I are you looking at? So, I was looking
2: at, at um, some NOAA Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory data where they, they are sort of with the Army Corps and, and some partners in Canada, keepers of the water level data on the Great Lakes. And so, I was looking up sort of a, a long term averages of, of that net basin supply. That I talked about, so sort of long-term averages of runoff, precipitation, evaporation, and then kind of how those balance out, kind of like a check checking account. And so and we'll, um, that that was just sort of the monthly look at all those numbers.
0: Um, and we'll put a link to that in the and, show notes at uh, teachmeaboutthegreatlakes dot com slash twenty two zero because this is episode twenty. Exactly.
1: So that everybody can also geek out <laughs> over graphs if they.
0: G O O G, the old Goog. Yeah. How long have we been on this upward trend in lake levels? Because when I did my postdoc here uh West Lafayette in 2013, we're in the middle of this huge drought, right? Um, and then it seems like this year is pretty droughty as well, although I haven't really been tracking it, I'll be honest. Uh, it might just be my garden sucked this year. Stunk, pardon me. And uh, uh, so um, is this uh, kind of in the last year? But you're saying that it's really wet too, so... So is it wet enough in the non-drought years to make up for it, or is it just 2012 and 13 were anomalous and, and it's been overall wet uh, beyond that?
2: Well, so 2012, 2013, um, we, in Lake Michigan, set an all-time low water level in January of And that was not necessarily because 2012 and 2013, we actually had a, a period over a decade of of below average water levels, so the conversation then was, are the water levels ever going to go back up? Um, so it was that was sort of consistent, you know, cumulative effect of being low, and then I think you know a couple a uh, couple of dry years kind of pushed it to that record low, um, and then since then, so since January 2013, the lakes have just sort of gone up. At least you know Got- Lake Michigan, uh, Michigan Huron has has pretty consistently gone up.
0: But well, so this is so something that. This, go ahead. Let's, well, this is something that changes fairly well rapidly on geologic terms, right? Unlike sea level rise, for example, which is it's going to go up for kind of the foreseeable future. Um, uh, uh, lake levels can change on on a, you know the, on a year, couple year basis, I suppose.
2: Yeah, yeah. We won't go. So we're close to record highs now. We won't go back down to average next year. It takes you know a few years to kind of get from from the extremes uh, back to the middle. But yeah, pretty um, geologic scales, yeah, pretty darn rapid.
1: So when you're talking about um, lake levels and you're saying, you know, on Lake Michigan, Lake Michigan-Huron, which, um, sorry, Lake Superior, that is the biggest <laughs> lake um, when you put them together. But um, so there's a couple of different points that water levels are sort of controlled in the Great Lakes, right? Where where are those and who sort of is responsible for control? So, yeah, the, you know, the term control
2: has to be, um, we don't have full control over the water levels. In fact, we have, you know, um, I think whenever the Army Corps presents on this, they say, you know, Mother Nature controls feet and humans control inches. Um, so we do have some hydraulic structures where we can kind of change how much water is flowing between the lakes and in some cases, diversions in and out of the lake. So the main ones are uh, the out of Lake Superior into Lake Huron, Michigan um, is controlled by the St. Mary's Dam, the compensating works Um, that kind of controls how much water is being let out of of Lake Superior. And then again, there's not another dam that controls flow between the lakes until the Moe Saunders dam that, that is, uh, lets water out of the St. Lawrence Seaway and you know, sort of out of Lake Ontario and then out into the ocean. And so there are kind of those two control points. And then there are some diversions that either go in or out of the lakes. And so, um, one, one main one that people are probably familiar with is the Chicago river, um, that, that, uh, was was reversed back in the, the, the you know in 1900 when it's completed, and so I have a couple numbers for that just to put things in perspective. Um, there's about 3,200 cubic feet per second of water going out of Lake Michigan through the Chicago River and out into the Mississippi River Basin. Um, so over the course of an entire year, that is 750 billion gallons of water. which Sounds like a lot.
1: That only amounts
2: to about an inch of water out of Lake Michigan huron uh, When you average that across the, the water surface, over the whole. <laughs> so when they say Mother Nature controls feet and humans control inches, that's, that's one example.
0: So think about the drivers here. I want to I want to focus on that again for a second. So so it seems to be mainly be this net. uh, Hang on, let me get the term right. Net basin supply, Mm -hmm. and when that's uh, uh, when you have more supply than uh, or when that's higher, I guess you get the higher lake levels. And and so when I think about sea level rise, you think about things like thermal expansion, right? The idea that water. Uh, uh, expands as it gets warmer. And that's a pretty significant um, driver, my understanding is, of, of sea level. Once you get on like the ocean scale, uh, even just a little bit of expansion means a, a fair amount of growth in terms of the relative sea level. Uh, is thermal expansion, is that, is, is that a, is there a climate story generally when it comes to lake level rise? Or is it just happening, um, you know, for other reasons that aren't necessarily climate related?
2: Well, I think it's not as direct of a story as sea level rise um, because we don't have any glaciers in the Great Lakes Basin and Lake Ontario is about 250 feet above sea level so if, if the Great Lakes start getting sea level rise then we're in a world of hurt um, <laughs> because the sea levels are up to <laughs> feet. Um, so, so thermal expansion, I'm not super familiar with that impact in in the Great Lakes but it, it would definitely be less in the Great Lakes just because the the oceans are, you know, miles deep, whereas the Great Lakes are, you know, mm-hmm. the deepest, you know, over a thousand feet. But so not, it won't be as much water kind of expanding, so it won't have as much of a net effect. Um, but there is sort of a, a climate story in that, you know, those net basin supply components um, are definitely shifting. Uh, you know, precipitation under under climate change, we're expected to see a wetter climate. So, so we can expect more precipitation. But then on on the flip side, with warmer temperatures, we may expect more evaporation because we can have you know warmer lake temperatures in the winter to drive more evaporation. Um, previously, the sort of science and the modeling. Predicted a potential trend downward in lake levels, but recent kind of corrections to how evaporation is treated have kind of muddied the waters. We're not 100% sure. Um, There's not really a clear trend whether long-term lake levels go upward or downward. But um, there's there's anticipating some of those swings might be more extreme. We may see higher highs and lower lows just because uh, we may expect more extremes in precipitation and in drought, and certainly. Um, You know, seeing record five-year precipitation for the past three or four years um, could be an indication of, of differences in the climate.
0: So one thing I'd like to do is sort of talk about, we're talking about lake levels. They're very high now and they will be for a bit and then they may get lower, they may not. And this is sort of going to be something that is a feature, I guess, going forward of living in the Great Lakes area. So uh, I imagine a lot of your work with Wisconsin Sea Grant is working with governments to help um, uh, adapt, I guess, uh, to uh, to uh, lake levels, um, higher lake levels now and potentially lower ones in the future. What is the work that you're doing there and how what can local governments do to help prep for this?
2: Yeah, so I, I do spend a lot of time uh, with Wisconsin communities to try and try and figure out what their path forward is, how to respond and how to think for the future to be resilient to these changes. and um, you know, it, there's not a there's not a one size fits all solution. It really is dependent on sort of what what's at risk and sort of how much money is available and what what some of the options are. Um, you know, there's there's sort of for. I guess usually I recommend kind of prioritizing, OK, what is what is what's critical? What is uh what is imminently at risk and what, what needs to be what's critical and really needs to be planned for uh for future effects. And so, you know, there there's for things that, that can't move, uh things that need to stay functional, things that are are vital to the community, you know, there there's the sort of defend option or, or add some
0: some coastal protection or beef them up. And so those would be things like like I mean who knows what, but critical infrastructure, buildings, roads, hospitals, stuff like that. Is yeah that kind of what you mean? Water
2: treatment plants, wastewater, okay. and drinking water; those are right on the Great Lakes, yeah. and so
0: so those are,
2: are critical, and and by nature in sort of a hazardous area. So, um, yeah, so so there's that option, and that's often a first thought for a lot of people. Is we've got to we've got to hold the line and fight back the waves, which is which is not a trivial task. Um, you know, shore protection is it's, it gets constantly battered um and and we have to design it big enough to handle lake levels that might be higher than right now, mm-hmm. perhaps uh large storm events and so um that that's definitely has a place, and then there's also sort of a thinking and planning about the future maybe maybe homes maybe maybe assets can be relocated maybe uh when. When they sort of use up their useful life, when it's time to do major renewal, is considering if that should be relocated away from the coast, so yeah. we're not constantly fighting against the waves. Um, so, is, is so there that, that is
0: one- sure. Yeah, is there a movement now to more? I, I felt like in when I was in Texas that you know people were really appreciating more the idea of designing with nature as opposed to kind of command and control, right? And so there was less, or well, there's still plenty of focus on like hard. Uh, infrastructure and, and seawalls and stuff like that, but we're moving more toward a living shoreline and, you know, uh, oyster reef protection type world. Do you see that kind of in your field, or is that the kind of thing where this infrastructure is so critical that we just need to build and maintain, you know, uh, seawalls or lake walls or whatever the right term is, um, even though maybe uh, if we're designing it fresh, we would design it differently.
2: So, yeah, there is a sort of a spectrum of incorporating nature into these sorts of designs. And on the Great Lakes, it's, it's definitely an emerging field. It's, it's not as well established as, say, the Gulf or in the Atlantic. We don't have oysters that we can use for oyster beds. And our growing season makes things a bit tough to, to get, say, marsh vegetation established. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is an expanding field where we maybe take hybrid approaches. And, and the open coast of the Great Lakes is is you can't just get by on vegetation alone and expect, uh, yeah. expect to hold and uh, protect critical assets with that. So incorporating things like, um, you know, living revetments where, where you, you incorporate a lot of vegetation upland can be good for habitat. Um, having a, a series of maybe some uh, offshore breakwaters where you can have a bit more naturalized, shoreline behind it, but you still are using gray infrastructure to to help reduce sure. that wave energy. Um, like I said, it's really kind of a growing field and we'll see a lot of changes, I think, in the in the coming years. And and this is this has been an impetus. These high water levels have certainly been an impetus to to try and figure out
0: those sorts of things. So And so then on the uh, individual level, we're recording this in early October. Just this morning was the first 30-something degree morning in West Lafayette. And uh, so it's a reminder that, uh, as Ned Stark says, winter is coming. Uh, And uh, so as the winter comes, a lot of people start to worry about the lake levels and how it might affect their homes. Are there uh, things that people can do uh, to prep, you know, for the overwinter period when it comes to, to lake levels?
2: Um, over the winter, yeah, we definitely see our largest storms in the winter. So that's when we see a lot of our, our erosion and flooding. And so, you know, really, it's sort of figuring out where do I stand—is am I at imminent risk here? How how close am I to to the to an eroding shoreline or, or to maybe a flood elevation? Um, and that's not really something you can do just. You know, there's some cases where it's very clear the house is 10 feet off, mm-hmm. off of an eroding cliff, and, and that's very clear something needs to be done. Um, other times it can be a bit more ambiguous depending on if you're on a bluff, sort of how high the bluff is, what materials is composed of, what the current slope is. So kind of if there's a concern about sort of an imminent risk, it's sort of getting some professional help to figure out how, how fast do I have to act? Okay. Um, is this something I got to do now? And then, as we get towards winter, you know, it's a similar set of options um, on a smaller scale, which is, you know, is it something you you dig in and defend and and install a revetment or a seawall because erosion is that close? When that happens again, with the example of like a bluff, you need to figure out is the bluff stable enough? Even if you put in shore protection, that bluff may still be unstable um, and could potentially fail back to the house. So, figuring thinking holistically. And then also, you know, if there's space, can you move your house? Can you relocate your house uh, on, a, on a lot get it away from from an erosion zone or, or higher up from flooding area? Um, oftentimes staying out of the way is, is the most cost-effective and um, effective overall way to deal with this. And then as we get towards winter, um, one thing that can be problematic specifically on bluff coasts is is frost heave where water gets in the bluff soil and then it freezes and wedges apart the bluff um so trying to trying to manage water on these coastal sites and keep them away from eroding bluffs uh for example pointing your downspouts not towards the lake but away from the lake um avoiding ponding and things like that trying to keep a bluff bluff as dry as possible is one thing that that can be
0: and so you mentioned One of the you,
2: easier solutions.
0: Yeah. You mentioned getting professional help. Does that mean like call up a coastal engineer? Uh, um, call up you if they live in Wisconsin. Who are the who is the professional in this situation?
2: Yeah, coastal engineers or geologists, and sometimes experienced contractors can can uh, okay. really either have a, a sense from looking at a site, and knowing the area, or, or be able to run those sort of calculations. And at least at Wisconsin Sea Grant, we have a list of known coastal engineers and contractors that. Um. Do work in Wisconsin. They also have offices other places in the Great Lakes. I think mean, the New York Sea Grant has a similar list, um, and then also local uh, local zoning offices, local uh, land uh, management offices may or may not have some expertise because um, they deal with these situations
0: a lot. So, so they might be
2: able to help, and, and they might they might not have that expertise. But it's definitely worth the
0: call to see. Okay, great. Well, Adam, this is really interesting. and We appreciate you coming on to talk about that, but that's actually not why we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes. We invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes to answer two questions. And the first one is this. If you could have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would it be?
2: I will go with the sandwich. sandwich. I, I remember sandwiches, but I don't have a lot of um, memories. Of I've definitely had good donuts, but non, non, <laughs> not uh, a lot of memorable big, donuts.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. So so then uh, <laughs> when I'm in Madison next, where should I go to get a really great sandwich? I
2: am partial to Stalzi's Deli, which is a short walk from my house. Um, I am a big fan of the Ruben
0: Man. Stalzi's Deli. Great. I will put a link to that in the show notes and head there next time I'm in Madison. And we'd like to leave right. our listeners with a little bit of life advice. It can be big or little, serious or silly. Uh, it doesn't matter. Just something that they can take with them to turn around in their head as they sit there and wait two weeks between episodes. So uh, Adam, what is a piece of life advice that you have for our listeners?
2: I would say um, take time to to sort of be appreciative of, of things in your life. And I think that you know, sometimes it's pertinent in this job, too, because sometimes I get a little flustered. You know, obviously, with hot water levels being high, there's a lot going on. Um, it can it can really be stressful. But then I step back and think that I really get to work with a lot of great people on a lot of interesting things and, and try and help them. And, and so I really appreciate that. So for me personally, it's taking that, that time to reflect and, and appreciate. Oh,
0: I love it. Well, Adam, where can people go if they want to find uh, find out more about the work that you do? If they want to you have like a social media thing, or should they go to the Sea Grant homepage? What works for you? We have uh, yeah, Wisconsin Sea Grant has our, our page, and then you can find
2: coastal engineering and processes where a lot of this information is housed. We also have an ongoing project where we, we keep posting on, on monthly on Great Lakes water levels at SEWIcoastalresilience.org. That um, has water level information and, and more things about trying to, trying to adapt and be resilient. And that stands for
0: Southeast hazards. Wisconsin, I assume? Correct. All right. Well, we will put links to those also in the show notes. Dr. Adam Beckley, Coastal Engineering Outreach Specialist with Wisconsin Sea Grant, thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Thank you. It's been great. So lake levels, that's interesting. So it's actually a, a fair amount different from sea level in that it's not like this upward rise that is going to continue. It, it's more of a fluctuation situation.
1: Right. And there are so many different components that people are trying to figure out. its um, We can talk some more about modeling and, and all the predictions that you can and cannot make right now. Um, yeah. It's important to gather more data.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Important to fund scientists uh, to do that work. And of course, fund social scientists to help with the ad- adaptation side. But uh, yeah, so I thought that was, that was really interesting. But it's another thing I realized we need to rename this podcast from Teach Me About the Great Lakes to like uh, sad and scared or things that are worrying or something like that. Because it's, it's, I, I feel like we've been focusing a lot lately on all the different ways in which um, uh, environmental harm <laughs> is coming home to roost lately.
1: Uh, But then you listen to what Adam's advice was and you say like, well, you know, there's still good stuff out there. We're helping people. We're figuring things out. We're helping them adapt and it'll be great.
0: No, you're right. Well, I mean, great or not, it'll be. But no, I think you're right. There's a lot of steps that people can take. And and that's actually a significant problem. And and, uh, one thing that we'll want to talk about at some point is it's just that. It's like, you know, you don't want to get overwhelmed because if – I feel like I'm not just talking about the Great Lakes environment right now, but if you focus so much on bad stuff without focusing on the steps you can take, uh, to, to make it less bad or better, uh, you risk getting overwhelmed and, uh, that's not a great way to be.
1: Yeah. I periodically break into always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> <a higher laughs> like So if you were at my house, then yep. that's how you would know. It's like, it's like time to start singing.
0: Yeah. But there's one particular yeah. line in there that you, <laughs>
1: <laughs> life's a piece of spit is what i saw them pre- perform for queen elizabeth the second one time and i remember it like eagerly staring at the screen right. and then it was like what
0: are they going to say anyway. life's a piece <laughs> of spit when you look at it
1: yes exactly but- all right so what the thing that i learned today because i know you're going to ask me i, um, I, I actually have a- really interesting that um, evaporation processes in the Great Lakes are not all, you know, he said they're not that out of whack compared with what happened because I've heard a lot about winter ice cover and as that's retreating, you know, the evaporation but um, based on what Adam was saying, it, it seems like it's the, really the precipitation and the wet, 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 which is making things go up, which I found really neat.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, that I thought was interesting. And to me, the main thing, again, that I learned was just that this is not an up, up, up thing, um, but it's a fluctuation thing. And it, it's uh, so I thought that was cool. And uh, even though it wasn't the main topic. Uh, hang on, let me get it right. Medio tsunamis I found to be both
1: interesting and terrifying. So now I have to read a lot more about those. There's some really, really cool stuff that um, people have been putting out trying to explain those um, that we can put links to. Oh, really? Like in,
0: like uh, yeah. uh, videos or explainer type things?
1: Yeah, variety, variety of um, outputs. But yeah, we'll put links to a couple of them down in the bottom and, and maybe we'll talk. I mean, you've mentioned them a couple of times, right? In different episodes. Video so. tsunamis? You I have? No, maybe you haven't. Edit that out, Stupid. No, maybe I okay. have. <laughs> maybe I am I don't know I made a bad guess there, if so, so I'd
0: forgotten about them oh it's very possible I forget about a lot of things <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn's part of it means more work for no that's okay. fine
0: <laughs> um it's all good yeah well anyway so so that's interesting and I want to look into that and, and I wonder so my question I mean I didn't want to derail us but I wonder like how predictable are those will they be predictable uh and if, I mean it sounds really hard if it crops up that quickly I don't you know uh we talked about how hard it was to predict I can't imagine that these medial tsunamis are predictable at all, but it'd be interesting to look into. So yeah, potential future episodes there as well. Write it down.
1: Great. What we're really doing is like, because I haven't mentioned water spouts, but... We're going to talk about water spouts at some point, oh, really? too. It's going to be all weather, all the I time. I mean, it's, yeah, it's
0: it's weather and sadness. That's the episode. Yeah, water spouts are great, though. I used to go fishing out on the Gulf with my dad, and we would sometimes see water spouts and drive the other way uh, in the boat, but they're uh, really amazing things. So, yeah, we'll do water spouts. But I think we need to we need to find an episode full of happy talks. So I'm going to work on that uh, for the next few weeks. Maybe not next uh, episode because uh, of uh, what we had planned, but maybe a couple episodes after that. We'll see. Um, but we always want to be happy. on teach me about the Great Lakes. So I'll do what I can. Anyway,
1: we make bad jokes.
0: What's a bad joke?
1: <laughs> no, I was gonna say we can make bad. Jokes oh yeah, we can make bad. I mean,
0: you can. I have never made a bad joke. Um, but uh, sure. <laughs> but um, yeah. anyway, I encourage you all to follow us on all of the social media. So you should run out right now to your phone or your computer web browser or your tablet. Uh, and go to www.twitter.com slash I-L-I-N-C Grant to follow Illinois-Indiana Sea Grant's main feed. Um, you can follow the show itself on Teach Great Lakes at uh, uh, on the uh, on Twitter. And Illinois-Indiana Sea Grant, we're on all the social media at I-L-I-N-C Grant. So if you don't like that, maybe you like uh, Facebook, do the Facebook. Um, there's probably more social media, so do those too.
1: Uh, yeah, or you can send emails, emails. or, you know actually do still receive letters as well like very interesting in yeah, write us a letter actually i would love that
0: uh <laughs> send us a card write us a letter um it won't arrive until i get them back in the office next year probably but uh, uh it'll be a nice little treat so you can send that 195 mars stellar uh west lafayette indiana 47907 and uh Correct. we look forward to receiving that in a year well anyway thank you so much for listening uh we appreciate it make sure you do the likes and the subscribes tell all your friends about us And uh, we will see you on the first Monday of every month and the third Monday of most months. Um, And until then, uh, keep grating those legs. Awesome.
1: Always look on the right side of death. Sorry. (laughs) Just before you draw
0: your terminal breath. Oh, God.
1: I don't think you don't hold your
0: computer. Really? I don't want to be responsible for, for your four. No, no, no. We're far, far south of that. This is going to be end, right? Yeah. (laughs) This may be at the end. Yeah.